Good morning. It's good to be with you all. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and go to Genesis 1. It's the very first book, so it should be easy to find. Well, as you've heard this morning, this is the kickoff for Reach 18, which is all about global missions. I know for me, one of the things that has always stirred my heart for global missions is a good missionary biography. And one of the great missionary heroes is David Brainerd. David Brainerd lived in western Massachusetts, and he was a missionary to Native Americans. And one of the reasons he is kind of famous is because he kept a journal of all the hardships he endured, but also the work of God among those tribes. He actually, through his journal and through his story, he's then been an inspiration for probably countless number of other missionaries who then have gone because of him. He's a real hero of the faith. So when you see him, does he remind you of anyone or anything? I'll give you the answer. Reminder of the New England Patriots. Yes, there's no coincidence that this New England missionary looks like the New England logo. So I simply ask the question, can you care about global missions and not support this missionary lookalike logo? I'm going to leave that on you. I think one application for today is the next two weeks, we all support the Patriots. Okay, now that I've wasted the first minute of my sermon and have no credibility with you, let's talk about reach. That was low, but what would you expect from a Patriots fan? So there you go. Anyways, four years ago, my wife Melissa and I, we went on a vision trip as well, kind of like the Webster's shared. We went to College Park, um, and we visited India. And like Tim said, one of the reasons we use language of vision trip is because you get a firsthand experience to see God at work all over the world. So for me, my highlight among all the good things from the trip, it was probably seeing a new church planted in a remote village in India. There's one picture. Um, Nate Irwin is on there. He'll be preaching next week. Um, But again, this is a church planted in a village. And when I say village, I mean village. This was in a very remote part of India. It's people that are living on the margins of life. They've been secluded, living poor lives, and many of them are considered untouchables. But what happened was, through our church partner in India, they started a school, a Christian school, for the purpose of reaching the people there who are either Hindu, Buddhist, or Muslim. And so a few of the kids from this village actually got to go to that school, and through that, relationships were built, and the gospel was shared, and some of those families have believed in Christ. In a place like this, and here's the inside of the church, it's small, but you would never imagine a gospel-proclaiming church to exist, but now light and salvation has arrived in one of the darkest parts of our world. And this is so exciting because for me, again, this is part of why a vision trip is powerful. By being there, you see how God is a global God at work in powerful new ways. That through one church supporting a ministry in India, a church has started, and then all the way to a remote village, the gospel has gone forward. Well, this morning, my hope is to see that the work of global missions, that this isn't something the church came up with. And that this isn't something a handful of elite Christians do, but that this is actually why the church exists. That God has a mission for his people and his world. So today, instead of focusing on one verse, we're actually going to see how missions 
is a thread throughout the entire storyline of Scripture. From Genesis 1 at creation until Revelation when God dwells with his people, the entire story is driven by mission. So God has a mission, and here's how I would summarize that mission. That he wants to spread his glory throughout the entire globe by redeeming people to himself, but then sending them out to tell others. So today, again, we're going to start in Genesis 1. We're going to move all the way to Revelation and highlight how God's mission in Genesis 1 is actually the mission of the church in the New Testament. So I'll be in Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. You can follow along with me. This is the creation account. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We'll stop there. We'll come back to verse 28 in a minute. But first, it's important to understand, how does image actually work in this verse? When it says God created us in his image, it's not just talking about our nature or our essence, but it's talking about our function or our purpose. Genesis 1, it tells us that the world is God's, that he creates this earth, and then he puts his image bearers in the world. So as image bearers, they actually exist to do something not for themselves. They exist to point back to God. They are to reflect him, but also to represent him. In the ancient Near East, which is the culture where Genesis 1 was written, kings would often use images or huge statues as a reminder of who the king was and then to embody and extend their rule. This is why in ancient lands you see so many of these big images or the sphinx or pyramids or statues. The point was they would put this in the land and it was to be a reminder of who owned this territory. It was to tell everyone around there of how powerful and wealthy they are and remind them of their sovereignty and of their rule. So these images, they were just one way a king would spread their glory or their fame or their rule all over their territory. So when we read Genesis 1 and it talks about us being image bearers, that's the context. That men and women are put on the earth to be those reminders, to be image bearers that reflect another kingdom. One Old Testament scholar said, Man is set in the midst of creation as God's statue. He is the evidence that God is the Lord of creation, but as God's steward, he also exerts his rule. So we are to reflect who God is, and we are to represent his kingdom way of life. So with this understanding of what an image bearer is, we can move to the next verse, verse 28, because this reveals what our mission is. So our identity from 26 and 27, that's what leads to our mission in verse 28. It says, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Again, we'll stop there. So this language here, this mission, 
where he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and exercise dominion, that connects to what an image is. And this is actually the mission given for those image bearers. The point here is that as God's image spreads and fills the earth, that then God's glory is spreading and filling the earth. That the way God extends his kingdom is by sending his kingdom people or his image bearers. So God's mission for us, God's mission for human beings, why he created them, is that he wanted his people to multiply and to spread so that the entire earth would be full of his glory. If you think of image bearers then maybe as lights, as the light starts to grow and the light spreads, the image is that the darkness begins to fill with light from place to place. And that is what happens as people come to Christ, as they're renewed back into the image of God, and as that spreads, the earth it becomes more full of the glory of God. To provide an imperfect illustration, if you think of a large company like a Nike or Starbucks, Apple, Google, what they hope to see happen is that individual stores would do well, that those would multiply, and then eventually that their, their brand would go global, that everyone would know about Nike because of the way it has multiplied. Well, for me, how I understand this is I think about that beacon of goodness, Chick-fil-A, and how they started in Georgia and they moved into the South and into the Midwest, and through them, new cultures experienced tasty nuggets and waffle fries. And from here, it spread west and it spread northeast, and with them, it spread the good news of nuggets and Chick-fil-A sandwiches. And one day, there's a hope that wherever you go in this country, Chick-fil-A will be there. No one will have any need to ever again go to a McDonald's or a Taco Bell. Or Taco Beal, as we learned last night. Except on Sundays, of course, you still will have to go to McDonald's on that day. Well, that's a very small picture of what God's mission was in Genesis 1. That as his image bears multiplied, as they spread, and as they took God's image, that then his glory and his fame and his kingdom is filling the entire earth. That it spreads from person to person, region to region, and country to country. And God's glory spreads that way. Because what God wants, God wants every nook and cranny of this earth to be full of his awesome, life-giving glory. He wants humans to take it in, to receive it, to be changed by it, and then to reflect that out to others. That's God's mission for mankind. That's why he created people. That's why he created you and I. Our mission is to be image bearers who multiply God both near but also far. And so this mission given right away, Genesis 1, when it talks about you being an image bearer, that's your identity, and then being told to go, given your mission, that drives the rest of the scripture narrative. But we do know if you move from Genesis 1 to Genesis 3, that something happens. That an enemy, he comes and he deceives Adam and Eve. So they turn from the purpose and the mission of the king, and instead they pursue their own mission, their own glory. 
Sin changes everything, everything. So now the earth, the world, it's no longer God's kingdom, but it's a place that has to be won back for him. And it's not that we as human, human beings, we don't completely lose the image of God, but it's so marred, it's so hidden that we no longer reflect his glory. We no longer represent him as Genesis 1 wanted. Well, as the story continues in the Old Testament, Israel was supposed to be that light, that image. And as we know, they failed as well. But even though they failed in their mission, the prophets, towards the end of the Old Testament narrative, they start to look forward to a coming day. The prophets tell us that one day this will change, that with the coming of a Messiah, that as Habakkuk 2.4 says, that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So that's what the Old Testament, that's what the prophets are looking forward to, is the earth being changed so that God's glory looks like it should have in Genesis 1, that it's filling the entire earth. So again, moving then, when you go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, with the coming of Jesus, this drama of redemptive history takes center stage. That the reason Jesus comes, the reason Jesus gives his life, is because he's redeeming a kingdom people back to himself. That the death of Jesus for sinners, that assures that Genesis 1, that mission, will happen. Because he redeems people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and people group. Not only does he do that, but he also gives us his spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit who both renews us in the image of God and equips us for the mission of God. And then before going, Jesus gives the Great Commission. If you know of Matthew 28 or Acts 1, the Great Commission of Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations. And when Jesus is doing that, he's actually tasking the church, with tasking us with that same Genesis 1 mandate. When he says, go to all nations, teach to them, he's saying, make disciples, multiply, replicate, have people who represent me, who extend my kingdom, and tell others about the glory of the Lord. So the point there is the Great Commission, the thing, the pro, what Jesus tells his church to do, it's not different from Genesis 1. It's actually how we fulfill and complete Genesis 1. That the commission to take the gospel globally is how we take God's glory globally. Moving from Jesus and the gospels to Acts, how do we see this lived out in the life of the church? Beginning in Acts, but also lived out in the history of the church even now. Well, in the book of Acts, we see a common pattern. What happens is the gospel is proclaimed somewhere. People then trust in Jesus as people trust in Jesus, together they form a church. And then out of that church, they send people who reach new and further away areas. And then the cycle just repeats. The gospel is proclaimed there. People trust in Jesus. A church forms, and they send people further away. Let me give you one example of this. So this happens in Colossians, or in the city of Colossae. In Acts 19, we see that Paul, he spent a couple of years in the city of Ephesus sharing the gospel. Ephesus was a key city. It was the place where everyone went. It was like a New York City or a London or Dubai. It was where people gathered. 
And while, while Paul was doing that in Ephesus, there's one man, a man named Epaphras. He's from the city of Colossae. So Epaphras comes to Ephesus. He hears the gospel from Paul. And then it tells us that when he goes back to his hometown, the town of Colossae, he then shares the gospel with people there, probably family and friends and people he knows. And that's how the book of Colossians is birthed. So then in Colossians 4, when we get there, it tells us that that church, the Colossian church, they've spread it to their neighboring regions. So just kind of trace the map in your head with me. Paul is sent out by Jerusalem. Eventually, he lands in the city of Ephesus. People are gathering there, one example being Epaphras. He hears the gospel. He moves to Colossae. He shares the gospel. People become believers, and then they share it from there in other areas. And that's the New Testament pattern. Listen to then how Paul describes all of this and what it looks like and how it actually fulfills Genesis 1 language. This is Colossians 1, 5 to 7. Paul says to the Colossians, Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing or multiplying, as it also does among you. So this is just Genesis 1 language saying that the gospel came to you, it bore fruit, and you have multiplied just as it's doing in the whole world. G.K. Beale kind of explains this. He says, Therefore believers are the created progeny of the last Adam, Jesus, who are beginning to fulfill in him the mandate given to the first Adam. The Genesis 1:28 language applied by Paul to them in Colossians indicates that they are a part of the inaugurated new creation and are beginning now to fulfill in Christ what has been left unfulfilled and the primordial mandate throughout the ages. The point there is with the coming of Jesus and with the launch of his spirit-filled church that the Genesis 1 mission, why we were created, why we exist, it's then taken up and given to the church. That as we and as the church spreads the gospel message, image bearers are reproduced and the glory of God goes to new and to dark Places. So then when we get to the end of the Bible, this beautiful picture in Revelation, what happens is God's heavenly city, it comes down, and God is dwelling with, dwelling with literally image bearers from all over the world. So from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. But the reality and what we have to consider is that you never get to that beautiful picture in the future from Revelation unless you have the church in Acts and the church today spreading that gospel message. There is no revelation unless the church does its job in between. So what I've been just trying to do and laying out from Genesis 1 to Revelation, that the purpose for why God creates us, the mission for mankind is to spread and to multiply God's image. That God rescues us. He redeems us to himself. He remakes us into the image of God, but then he releases us out into the world. So if this is true, if you say, okay, I get it. The Bible is really about the mission of God and us, how we should spread his glory through his gospel. So what are some things we could do? What are some ways we might apply that? How should we think 
differently today? I'd say the first application that has to begin at the individual level. Each of us must ask and answer this question. What is our mission in life? Why do we exist? In the midst of all the things we're doing, family and career and school and all the stuff of life, what has God absolutely called us to be about? And although we might know, we know mentally that our life, our mission should accord with that biblical mission, I think if we're honest, we would say that a lot of times our priorities and thus our mission actually are more in line with the world's values and mission. And by that, I don't mean simply inherently sinful things, but I mean that the world's mission of pursuing comfort and ease and affluence and respect having a comfy and cozy life, that that mission has slipped into the church, and often that's the mission that drives your life and my life. While we might live as if the enemy's only threat is tripping us up in sin or moral failings, I think the bigger threat for us as the American church is just being lulled into complacency and into comfort. You see, the enemy's goal, it's not necessarily that we would abandon Christ, that probably won't happen for a lot of people. But the goal then is that we would neglect the mission of Christ. I think this is such a vital application as we talk about global outreach because we often live as if our mission in this world, as if our own mission is just avoid the stain of sin, be moral, but really pursue the American dream for myself and set my kids up to do the same. It's not that we don't believe in Jesus and follow Jesus, but it's that his mission no longer drives the priorities in our life. An example of where I've seen this play itself out is that many Christian parents often ask or they fear, why will their kids walk away from the church? And they often think it's something like sex, drugs, or alcohol. But my experience in the church is that more kids walk away from the church or they put Jesus on the back burner of their life, not because of those things, but because they just really didn't think he was that important. That what they saw modeled in the home is that their priorities, their conversation, and their calendar revolved around money, around future careers, around sports, and all of those things. So even though the parents might have said, God should be central in your life, Monday through Saturday, what they modeled was, no, when you can, squeeze God in, but really we focus on these things. And the same is true for us as adults. What threatens the mission of God most among us isn't sin or scandal, but it's probably complacency and comfort. And so I think part of the application for us today as individuals and as families is just being honest and confessing where we've got off mission where we've kind of pushed God's mission to the side because another mission either felt more appealing or more pressing. And reach these next two weeks, this reminds us that God did not create us and God did not redeem us for the sole purpose of living a comfortable life and pursuing the American dream. That God actually created us and then he saved us to live for a much bigger mission that he wants us to be his image bearers who live for him, who spread his gospel and take his glory from place 
the place, and that's why we exist. If you feel a little bit guilty today, like I do now and have this week, that's okay. Missions is all about guilt. It's not true. We don't believe that College Park. There won't be any more guilt tripping after this, what I just said. But I think guilt, this conviction, this discomfort, that can actually be helpful. What that guilt and discomfort does is it causes us to do a check on our lives, to recenter and say, how can we get back on God's mission? It's not that we neglect those other areas, but how does God's mission become the driving mission of all those things we are doing? Well, finally, as we talk about global missions in particular through REACH, we're reminded that it must be based on this bigger, more fundamental story of God's mission in the world. That global missions is an essential part of what we do as a church because God's mission is to spread his glory not just here, but for the whole earth. And if we're honest again, it's hard to keep global missions in front of us. You know, there are so many things that feel more pressing day to day and week to week. But because that is true, I think what's helpful is to lean in and be intentional. What are ways to then better take global missions, keep it in front of our face, and put it on the radar of our lives? So how do we as a church, how do we leverage these next two weeks? What can we do to get global missions more into our life? Just want to give four easy ways. None of these will be guilt-driven. I'm not going to tell you to sell all your stuff, to move to a country that sounds terrible. We're not about to take an offering. So just deep breath, relax. These are all things we can do. The first is simply to pray. To pray for the mission, for missionaries, for church planting networks, and for global needs. One way you can pray is that in the back of the cafeteria, there's actually a 31-day global outreach guide that we've put together something with our missionaries, with partners, with projects we support. So for the next month, you as a family can be praying into those things and praying for God's global mission. The second thing is just to learn, to learn about other cultures and what's happening globally, to learn from missionaries what God is doing and some of the challenges. You know, get the newsletter from missionaries and learn how God is at work and also some of those challenges. One easy way to learn is this Tuesday night, there's a, a dessert for missionaries. So if you go to that, you can hear what is God doing? What are the needs? How is our church invested globally? So learn. The next one is simply to support. As Tim mentioned, when you give to the general fund, you do support missions. But maybe find some other missionaries or a mission or a project you really believe in and give to that apart from your normal giving. But don't just give financially. The biggest way you can support missionaries, it's also through encouragement. You know, send an email or a letter and let people know how you're praying for them or what you're thankful that they are doing. As a small group, find ways to either give a Christmas gift or birthday gift, but find ways to support and encourage some of our missionaries. And the last one is simply to go and see. As the Webster shared and as I shared in the beginning, Vision trips are one of the most compelling things for seeing God at work in real people's lives and in real places. It gives you a perspective on missions that you don't have by just hearing from other people. Let's say, think about a vision trip in 2019. Go see God at work. And for me, going four years ago, that still stuck with me. 
Tim mentioned next week after each service, you have a chance to hear about those vision trips if you want, if that's of interest. So pray, learn, support, or go and see. But I'd say pick one of those. Find one way that over the next two weeks you can leverage this time to have God recenter your heart for global missions. If over these next two weeks we go on our way and our lives have not become either more missionally personally or we, don't, we aren't more concerned about God's mission globally, then I feel like we've lost those two weeks. So use reach to cultivate a heart for mission. Live on mission personally where you are, yes, but also support those who go where you can't be. So join God's mission for God's people on God's world. And for me, this is actually an exciting thing. To be reminded that from day to day, as things just feel like boring old life, that we exist for a purpose. That tomorrow morning, whatever it is you're doing, that God has called you to a mission. And that's not a small thing. That's living for the glory of the Creator and King. So when we live with this mission in mind, it infuses life and energy and meaning into everything else we do. Would you pray with me? God, we're thankful that the story of the Bible included Christ's mission, that he came, that you sent him from heaven to earth to die to save sinners. God, we're thankful that salvation is free and that we can have that today in Christ. And Lord, I do pray today, throughout this week and next week, that you would do work in my heart and in our church, that you would give us more of a concern and passion for your glory, that we would want to see the gospel spread and people all over the globe come to know Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen. Thank you.